as previous comments have been made, while a lot has happened since we were here a year ago, the angels of God have been so busy directing the affairs of men in order that God's plan and purpose will be carried out. So, Brother John and Brother Pete have been looking at Europe and Russia on the amazing developments that have been taking place there. So we're going to concentrate on Brexit and Britain playing a role in the Middle East and uh, her links with Israel and a brief bit about Israel. So that's going to be our concentration. But before we start, uh, and I think I, I used this slide last year, the fulfilment of prophecy is never straightforward. We would love things to just roll on and be completed, but that's not what happens. And it's a real test of our faith. We know what has got to happen, and seemingly everything goes wrong. And I liken it to the tide. It, it creeps up the beach and then goes back again. Creeps up a bit further and goes back again. It takes a long time to get to high tide. And brethren, sisters and young people, we aren't at high tide yet. The Lord Jesus will have been back by the time it gets to high tide. But we are seeing the tide much, much higher than it was just a few years ago. And things which uh, used to be, well, how can that possibly be, are becoming much clearer. And as uh, we have seen, the growing power of Russia, which we've known about from Scripture, it's much easier to see that Russia is a strong military power and a uh, one who will be one that will gather up the nations to come against Israel. And we've seen the growing power of the papacy, how under this Jesuit priest, or uh, poet, uh, Pope, um, he has brought together not only the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox, but it reaching out to the Muslims and reaching out to those who haven't got a faith making an all-embracing church that can encompass many nations. And again, we have seen the beginnings of the development of the United States of Europe. And with the new commissioner, that is her task to make Europe like America. Bring together all these disparate nations and make them one nation in fulfilment uh, of what Brother Pete was looking at in Revelation chapter 17. So these things are much, much clearer. And for this country, it's fascinating to see how in the past few years has been this tribe that Britain must regain her greatness again. She has to be a trading power. This is what the country is seeking. Uh, and we can see wonderful steps as we shall look at uh, in a moment. And the other incredible thing we know from Ezekiel chapter 38 that the southern Arab nations are on the side of Israel. Now that would have been unbelievable a few years ago. But what a transformation in the past few years. We see Israel working with the southern Arab nations in a wonderful fulfilment of what the Bible has painted. So we can have every confidence, as our former two speakers have said, in the word of God. This is true. We have to be patient, but it will come to pass. The time will come when all the pieces of the jigsaw will drop into place. So, Brexit. 
what do we make of it? What a muddle. It seemed so simple, didn't it? Back in 2016, British people had said, we want to leave. True, it wasn't by a big majority. It was only a small majority, but it was a majority after all, and the biggest vote that this country has ever had. And yet we've seen how the politicians have resisted. They're enthralled by Europe and the hold of Europe, and that's got to be broken. Um, We see in the efforts of uh, Boris Johnson to break that stranglehold. So we have seen a very turbulent time as those Remainers who want to be part of a a system which economically is failing. Uh, If Britain remained in the EU, she would have to join the uh, euro, um, which, you know, how thankful Britain is that she never did join the euro. It's enabled her to adjust her currency rates to uh, suit herself instead of being subject to the all-embracing Euro organisation. So we believe that the British people have a role, and we shall look at scripture to see how the British people have a role to play outside of Europe. She doesn't form part of that alliance, as we've heard earlier, that alliance which comes together against the people of Israel. Britain is on the side of Israel, supporting Israel, not with those who are against her. So Boris Johnson was elected earlier in the year to be the Prime Minister, the leader of the Conservative Party, with this uh, slogan, we leave on the 31st of October, do or die. Or if, no ifs or buts, we're out of Europe on October the 31st. Now we shall see. Even yesterday he was saying we will still leave on the 31st, but that seems to be uh, rather a non-starter. Because the opposition politicians and even those of his own party have done everything they can to tie him in knots. They don't want to leave the security of the EU and step out into the unknown. And yet, Britain had lived and existed and had an empire and existed long before the EU was ever dreamed of. But they don't have that confidence. They don't have that understanding from the word of God that there is a purpose for Britain outside the EU. And I think the next five days till we come up to the 31st of October will be very critical. The EU have agreed an extension but they're waiting until possibly Monday or Tuesday before they say just how long that extension will be because of the internal uh, wranglings, as uh, Brother Pete was telling us. Uh, The French only want a few days, and the others are more inclined to give to the end of January. Um, Brother Matthew was saying in the Times today, it was saying that this could possibly lead to a no-deal Brexit. It is strengthening that case. And knowing that the deal that Boris did agree with the EU, which, much better than Mrs May's, but still ties Britain to the EU, it would be much better if she escaped without any uh, ties to the EU and traded without a deal but with all the provisions that have been put into place for flights and transport, many things uh, have been put into place. But if she left without a deal, then she could more readily embrace other nations and trade with other nations 
without being subject to the EU. But more of that in a moment. And uh, in the paper today, it said that one of the things that uh, they have pulled, sorry, this is already up there, uh, is the 50p pence. Now that was designed for, if you can read from the back, I don't know where they were hand, but the 31st of March, that's when Britain was going to leave, and then they had to pull that, uh, and it was redone with 31st of October, uh, but they've pulled the production of this commemorative coin because it looks as if that's not going to be the case. So what Boris wants, that if the EU agree to a longer extension, say to the end of January, then he wants to try and get a, a general election. Not going to be easy because the Labour Party don't want it, but he would very much like to have a general election that will strengthen his hand, that he can then go back to the EU and perhaps have the uh, House of Commons and the House of Lords agree the deal that he has done. Uh, hopefully that won't happen and we shall leave without a deal. But we have to wait and see. It's in the Father's good hands. The tide has come up. It's gone back again. We're waiting for it to come up further. We haven't reached the leaving time yet. Because the deal which Boris made with the EU still ties the British economy uh, to the mercy of the EU until at least December 2020 and maybe further along. Um, and we're, the country would be trapped because it would have left but still be subject to the rules and regulations without any control over what was said. So she'll be utterly at mercy uh, of the EU. And then at the end of, if it was, December 2020, then the real work would begin because there's an awful lot of things to be sorted out. And again, the EU uh, wants its money. The EU is not a kind, benevolent country that is favourably looking on a country that wants to dare to leave. She's putting every obstacle in Britain's way. And Britain would have to cough up money, £39 billion, and that's just for money which the EU reckons is due to them to the end of uh, December 2020. And then for the next two years or three years, Britain would still have to continue to pay about £10 billion uh, pounds a year as contributions, uh, no rebate, and if the EU wanted to up the price, they could up the price. So it's an open-ended, uh, unfavourable to Britain position that Boris has signed up to. Uh, and they want pay to play. If Britain wants uh, concessions from the EU, well, you can have them, but it's going to cost you. They want to take control of the fisheries. They want to take control of a level playing field, all the things that will make it much more difficult for Britain to have her role in the future. And because Britain then won't actually be a member of the EU, we termed an independent country, then the EU will be able to name her price. So not a very good prospect. So hopefully, out of all this confusion, will come an exit without a deal, but we shall see.
Will the EU miss the UK? Well, yes, they'll certainly miss her contributions. And she would find that a competitive Britain would be a real obstacle to their own trading plans. But they want to get on with this United States of Europe. This is what is driving them now. These countries are prepared to, in the words of Revelation 17, to give their power to the beast system. And Britain has been the obstacle. Britain has been the one that stopped them from doing what they have wanted for the past few years. So I'd be very glad to see the back of Britain. And so it will affect their economy because um, Britain uh, does so much importing from the EU, far more than Britain exports to the EU. It, it will hit them uh, financially, but that's the price they're prepared to pay. So just how it's all going to work out, I can't tell you. There are so many twists and turns to this story. But step by step we feel that everything is in place with people who are driven to wanting to have Britain as a free country able to trade around the world. So we wait with interest Monday or Tuesday, this new date, and how that will pan out. Um, and then Boris has got to get Parliament to agree to an election, which will be a very difficult thing. Uh, and then he's got to try and get the Houses of Parliament and the House of Lords to pass the agreement that is made, which again will be a very difficult thing. Uh, and then Brexit can take place. And it's just so interesting that just at this particular time, people who we have seen through the eyes of the word of God, God seems to have put them in the place for a purpose, yet, yet their jobs are in danger. Johnson's job is in danger. Trump's job is in danger. They're wanting to impeach him. And Netanyahu, he can't form a government in Israel. His job is in danger. And yet, I'm sure that out of it, a solutions will come that make sure that these men who believe that God has put into a place for a purpose, maybe their time has come, and it needs somebody else that we're not aware of. But it may be that this is just one of those backward steps which will then lead to a much stronger surge forward. As has already been remarked, we're living in a time when, uh, in the words of Luke chapter 21, signs and the sun, moon and stars and the political heavens, uh, distress upon the earth and uh, among the nations. And it talks about the seas and the waves roaring, and that's exactly what we see wherever we look around the world. There are problems, problems, political problems. Men can't find solutions because they're going the wrong way, this humanistic spirit. It is uh, leading to all sorts of problems which are man-made because they reject there is a God and God's purpose is being done. Now this was a cartoon that appeared in an American magazine. Uh, it was to illustrate an article on why hasn't Brexit happened. Fascinating article. But it shows the lion trapped in a cage now, you probably can't read from the back, but there are names written on those bars. So you've got The Guardian, Theresa May, 
the BBC. These are all powers which are using their endeavours to prevent Britain escaping the clutches of the EU. Angela Merkel, House of Lords, Ireland, Tony Blair, Brussels, David Cameron, France. These are all powers that are using their strength, as it were, to prevent Brexit. And somehow those powers have got to be broken, and they will be broken. And the actual article is a fascinating article because it describes just why the leaders of Parliament or the, the members of Parliament are so enthralled by the EU that the spirit of the EU has insidiously influenced their thinking. And if you just... Uh, uh, the link's a bit long, but if you just Google the title, Why Hasn't Brexit Happened?, it will come up at the top of Google. Uh, and look at the article, read the article, about 12 pages. Fascinating article. So, will he succeed? Well, Britain has to come out. It has the time come yet. Well, we'll look at that in a moment. And in anticipation of there being a Brexit, uh, Boris said we're not going to send a new commissioner uh, because uh, as from November the 1st, all member countries have to send their appointed commissioner to sit on the European Commission. Uh, and because of Brexit, Boris has said, no, we haven't got to send anybody. But now they said, now we're going to give you an extension even if it's a short time, well, I think it's only a fortnight, as they probably will uh, pass over it. But if it's a longer one, then Britain has to send a commissioner. It has been muted that they might send uh, somebody who they wouldn't be very pleased to see, and that's Nigel Farage. Now, whether that is just tongue in the cheek or not, I'm not sure, but it would be fascinating if Nigel Farage was sent as the commissioner. Wouldn't they want to get Britain out as quickly as possible? Yes, they would. So here's an interesting thing. You see, this is what scripture has been talking about for a long time. That there's Tarshish, the merchants of Tarshish and her young lions are opposed to the spirit of Europe. And what this is saying is that the EU have missed their chance. This is written by Ambrose Evans Pritchard, who's the chief uh, economist writer in the Daily Telegraph. For three years, the EU has treated Brexit chiefly as a disciplinary issue. Brussels is learning late that Britain's strategic realignment is just as much a bidding war, and Europe's bid has come in too low. The Americans have swooped into the vacuum. They have wooed the nation with sweet whisperings. Washington will steal the diplomatic prize from under their noses. The UK will be drawn deep into the North American orbit. This is incompatible with the EU regulatory structure. Once it happens, there will be no turning back in my lifetime. Trading patterns will harden for half a century or more. Well, somebody who doesn't know the Bible or anything like that, but that's how he sees it. He sees that Britain is going to be drawn out of the influence of the EU and Europe and be drawn to America. And once that has happened, there's no going back. So that's thrilling, because we know that's, that's what we're expecting. America, the foremost of the young lions, working with Britain, with a role 
which is not favourable to the EU. So, I've left this slide in, but October the 31st, and I've had to put a question mark by it, is a very significant date. Now, that was a date that wasn't chosen by Britain, that was chosen by the EU. They chose that Britain should leave when had the uh, second extension, because it went from March to May, and then from May to 31st of October. That was a date chosen by the EU. But it's a very significant date, because that was the start of the Reformation. 502 years ago, Luther in 1517, October the 31st, nailed his thesis, it is thought, to the church door in Wittenberg. And that began the process of the Reformation. It led 15 years on to Henry VIII breaking away and the Church of England being independent and Britain no longer paying her dues to Rome and no longer obeying the laws of Rome. Many writers have seen the significance of this date. Is this a second reformation for Britain when she no longer wants to send her dues to Rome and obey the laws of Rome and wants to go her own free way? Well, we shall see. So, as it were, Boris, he nailed his thesis to the EU table and his proposal, which was hammered out uh, to remove the dreaded backstop, which was uh, very anti-democratic. Uh, his plan is after a two-year transition period that the Northern Ireland leaves the EU along with the UK, but the um, Northern Ireland remains under EU rules for four years until 2025. Now that would involve having a hard border between mainland UK and Northern Ireland. That means any goods that are going into Northern Ireland have to go through customs, which they don't at the moment because Northern Ireland is part of the UK seamless borders. So that's why the DUP are unhappy with this. But this is what Boris has come up with. And it would also mean there would be checks between North and South of Ireland, but Britain has said, well, that's going to be done away from the borders so that it doesn't stir up the hostility uh, that used to be by having Ireland divided into a North and a South. Because what the EU wants is to get the reunification of Ireland for Northern Ireland to leave the UK and become part of Ireland again. That's what they want. And that's what all the problems have been in the past under Mrs May's agreement. And then at the end of four years, the Northern Ireland Assembly can decide whether to remain as it is uh, or to follow Britain and leave totally. And then that uh, hard border between... Uh, Britain and uh, Northern Ireland would disappear uh, and be replaced by a much harder border between Northern Ireland and the South. And his, part of his thesis was no extension beyond October the 31st. Well, that bit seems to have fallen to the ground. But one of the things we have to look at is the stability of the EU at the moment. Economically, the EU is in a bad place. Uh, things are slowing down. We've seen what's happened in Germany, and there are a lot of problems there. 
And this could be the final straw. Britain leaving uh, could shake the whole economy uh, of the EU. And that then would be a stimulus to the EU um, to band together, and it would be the stimulus to Britain to find alternative sources other than the EU. It would make the break very complete. As we said earlier, their exports to the UK are far greater than the UK's exports. And again, Ambrose Evans Pritchard, the gods of the global economic cycle have conspired to help Boris Johnson. As a matter of raw political brinkmanship, worse is better. As Boris delivers his take-it-or-leave-it proposal to Brussels, the Eurozone has its back against the wall. Germany is in recession. Europe's industrial slump is deepening. The European Central Bank is a broken and exhausted institution. So we live in interesting times. Now, the Daily Telegraph has been running a campaign, and that's its logo, logo Can Do UK, showing that Britain has a future outside the EU. There's far more trade to be done with an expanding world outside the EU than being tied to a shrinking economy of the EU. And Britain could take great advantage of the spat that is now, at the moment, taking place between America and China. Britain could step in and do the trade with China that China wants. In fact, in the paper today, it's saying how Jaguar Land Rover have had a back into profit because of the uh, China market has suddenly expanded again because they've fallen out with the Americans. So all sorts of opportunities lie for Britain outside the EU. And interestingly already, Germany, who used to be the UK's um, biggest market for imports and exports, has now been overtaken by America. So the pull is there. The American market, much bigger. So, timing. Um, we've looked at this uh, in the past. But just turn to Isaiah chapter 23. This is a chapter all about Tyre, which was the great trading power to the north of Israel. Uh, and this is where all the countries of the world brought their goods uh, into the markets of Tyre. And then the goods were then exported from there to all parts of the Mediterranean and beyond. It was a central market place. And Isaiah 23 is a wonderful chapter. It tells us that Tyre isn't going to exist as we know it forever. Trouble is going to come. And uh, in verse uh, 7, it says at the end of that verse, her own feet, Tyre's own feet, shall carry her afar off to Sodom. And we looked at a map uh, last time of how the Tyrian type of merchant power moved from Tyre down into Egypt, up into Italy, across to Spain, up to the Netherlands, and then the 1600s to Britain. So her feet had carried her afar off. Uh, and then the rest of the chapter seems to be painting a picture of a latter-day situation, of a latter-day Tyre power, who would, uh, as the concluding verse says, which uh, 
we've uh, highlighted uh, in the yellow there, her merchandise and her hire shall be holiness to Yahweh. It shall not be treasured nor laid up, for her merchandise shall be for them that dwell before Yahweh to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing. Now that comes at an end of a 70-year period when Tyre has been in the doldrums. Now it's clear that from the yellow part there that God has a role for this latter-day Tyre not to be able to build up its own might for its own grandisement, but to be of use to Yahweh. And because we know the Lord Jesus is coming back soon, we believe that Britain and other passages, that Britain has a role to play to help the Lord Jesus when he's overthrown the enemies and battle of Armageddon, sets up his throne in Jerusalem and calls the Jews to come back to their homeland that Britain will have a role in doing that. Now, it talks about uh, to dwell before Yahweh, to eat sufficiently and for durable clothing, which doesn't sound terribly exciting, but if we can go into the Hebrew, then to eat sufficiently means to eat to the absolute full. There's so much food there that, you know, no hunger and wonderful food to be had, as it were. Something which... You know, it doesn't happen at the moment, but in the kingdom age, this is what's going to happen. Uh, and durable clothing, you know, just clothes which don't wear out, again, it's not very exciting, but the Hebrew has the idea of, of beautiful, eminent, surpassing. So, again, it's a picture of wealth, and the wealth of Britain will be laid at the feet of the Lord Jesus, and they will help him in the work of building the temple, bringing back the Jewish people. And so this is why what is happening to Britain is, is taking place, we believe, because she's being prepared for this future role. And she's got to go through 70 years of um, downtreading and that before she can come alive again and work this work that God has for her. Now, just earlier it says, it shall be forgotten 70 years, According to the days of one king, after the end of 70 years shall tire singers and harlot. So there's an interesting little clue hidden in there. 70 years, it's got something to do with one king or one ruler. Now, kings and queens don't normally reign for 70 years. That is most unusual. In fact, in Wikipedia, they only list three people in history that have reigned for 70 years or more. There is a further list of people who probably did last 70 years reigning, but they're not quite sure of the dates, so you can probably add another five. So not many have reigned for 70 years. Now it just so happens that at this time, Britain has a ruler who has ruled for 67 and three quarter years. Um, she became queen in 1952. So I believe that we aren't quite there for Britain to be entirely free to go and trade until, in the mercy of God, the queen, if she remains alive, which I believe she will, uh, when she has been on the throne for 70 years, 
then that will be the time for Britain to be totally free of the EU. Just a quick review of her life. Born in 1926, at age of 21, she went on her first overseas tour, and that's when she pledged, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. And that is what she has done in a wonderful way. And not only that has she served the people, but she has held the Commonwealth together. That has been her pet subject, the Commonwealth. And for, well, nearly 70 years, she's been holding the Commonwealth together. Why? For this time to come, when there will be a vast market of countries who are friendly to Britain, want to do business with with Britain, can work with her at the end of the 70-year period. Got married in 47, and then in October in 1951, she and Philip went on their first uh, official tour on their own. Of course, her father was very ill, so they went, interestingly, to Canada and the United States to the foremost of the young lions. She then became queen in February 52, coronation was in 53, and that year they went, where did they go? on a Commonwealth tour. That was the beginnings of her uh, revealing as being the one that would hold the Commonwealth together. So a 70-year period, we could start that from her first overseas tour because although she wasn't queen, uh, that's when she was working, and that would take us to October 2021, which if Britain left on October the 31st, uh, two years' transition would have taken us to October the 21st. Or if we date it from when she actually became Queen in 1952, that takes us to February uh, 2022. So whatever happens, Britain isn't going to be free for another few years. Now, whether that's due to a transition period or whether Britain's going to be held in and won't be able to escape I don't know. But be assured, Britain will leave. It's a bit of a depressing thought, isn't it? It can't be free of the EU until the Queen has celebrated her 70th year on the throne. But that doesn't mean the Lord Jesus can't come back before then. We haven't got to wait for Britain to leave the EU for uh, the Lord Jesus to come back. He can come back any time. So don't think, oh, well, I've got time on my side because, you know, I've got to wait another two years. No, the Lord Jesus can be back any time. So let's now look at the merchants of Tarshish and Sheba and Dedan and the young lions. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 38. We know the verse well in verse 13. Having described the nations in the earlier part that come down against Israel... Then it's made clear that a group of people who don't agree with this invasion of Israel. So the Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarshish, with all the young lions thereof, shall say unto thee, Go, art thou come to take a spoil? Hast thou gathered thy company to take a prey, to carry away silver and gold, to take away cattle and goods, to take a great spoil? So clear these four groups, Sheba and Dedan, merchants of Tarshish, young lions, are opposed to the invasion of Israel by Gog and his companions. 
Well, last year we spent a bit of time looking at where Sheba and Dedan are. I'm not going to duplicate that, but just to put on the map, um, Dedan uh, spreading in those places there, Sheba down in today's Yemen. Now, it's fascinating that Sheba and Dedan are friendly with Israel in a growing amount, and we shall look at that in a moment. But I just want to look at the merchants of Tarshish, which we believe is Britain, and just see how Britain, uh, not only friendly with Israel, but has bases throughout the Middle East. She's got a total of um, 16 overseas bases, of which six are in the Middle East. Uh, so over a third of them. So she's got uh, a base in Bahrain, she's got a base in Qatar, she's got a base in Oman, she's got a base in Cyprus, she's got a base in Kenya, she's got a base in the middle of the uh, Indian Ocean at Diego Garcia. So she's in a good position to spread her influence in this part of the world. Just look at Oman. Britain has been a friend of Oman for nigh on 300 years. Had trading relations, had uh, port facilities there. Very friendly Arab country to Britain. And a year ago, uh, when uh, Gavin Williamson was Defence Secretary, uh, it was announced that Britain and Oman had cemented uh, a new position with a new joint base so this is a joint base between Britain and the Omanis in Oman. And as it says there, the UK is cementing its deep and special relationship with Oman for generations to come with the opening of a new Omani-British joint training base. And then later this year, it was announced that in addition to that training base, uh, they've signed a joint defence agreement which uh, puts Britain in the role of being the defender of the Omanis. And the Omanis have paid for an extensive port to be built, which is capable of uh, taking the new aircraft carriers that Britain has, is building, uh, and so they can be housed there. This biggest ship that Britain's ever built, uh, that's the Queen Elizabeth, uh, it's due to go, still doing trials, due to go into service in 2020 and then be deployed op operationally in 2021. Uh, and one of the places where they want to put her is in this Oman. Companion uh, boat, the Prince of Wales, uh, that should follow two years later. But what's so interesting is uh, this port, which has been constructed, uh, is so big, as I say, those two aircraft carriers can be housed there, dry docks. Uh, and what Britain is looking to do is, from that port there, extend her influence over the whole of the Middle East and the Far East. So what are the young lions. Well, the chief of the young lions is America, 
She has bases uh, in Syria, uh, and those will be saying, you know, they've been uh, withdrawn. But today it was saying, well, it's had second thoughts, uh, and uh, some more troops are going to go back into uh, Syria. Long term, we know that that's not the area for the United States to be, but at the moment, she's got uh, troops uh, in Syria, in Jordan, uh, in Iraq, in Kuwait, in Bahrain, in Qatar, in the United Arab Emirates, and in Oman. This year, it was announced that not only are the British using this port, uh, Port Duma, uh, the Americans too are going to, big enough for the Americans to use as well. Uh, she uh, has a base down in Dubutai. She has bases in Afghanistan. She shares bases with Britain on Diego Diego. Uh, she has a big centre in Crete. Uh, obviously she has bases in Turkey, though that's becoming a bit of a problem. And she works with Saudi Arabia, she works with Egypt, uh, and she works with Israel. So it's interesting, isn't it, how America, great friends of Israel, well planted in this area. Well, that's, that's what we've been expecting from what the prophet wrote 2,600 years ago. Now, one of the biggest in population of the young lions is India. India is very friendly to Israel. Strong links there. And also very friendly to Saudi Arabia. Um, back in February, the Crown Prince was in India saying he's going to invest $100 million in India. So that's quite a remarkable thing that... Uh, uh, India is not only friendly with Israel, but friendly with Saudi Arabia. And furthermore, this port in Oman, uh, the Indians now are going to have just made an agreement for them to use the facilities. So this one base, we've got the Omanis, uh, Sheba, Didan, we've got the British, the merchants of uh, Tarshish, and we've got two of the young lions, uh, America and India. How scripture comes to life before our eyes, brothers and sisters. And Australia, another of the foremost of the young lions, again very friendly to Israel. And again, working very extensively in the Middle East. It's a good market for her sheep. Canada, again, great friend of Israel. And again, Canada works in the Middle East. So it's just so you couldn't make it up. It's true. The Bible, we can trust it. It comes to pass exactly as God said. So let's just look at Britain as the Tarshish power. My thunder has been stolen by Brother Pete, but never mind, we'll press on. Um, we know that uh, when Jonah wanted to go to Tarshish, he went down to Joppa, which indicates that Tarshish is on the west side of Israel, though we have to acknowledge that there was an eastern Tarshish of India, and we just had in our readings didn't we, a couple of days ago about uh, Ezion Geber being the base for that. <coughs> we know that early Britons were related or descended from Javan, 
Um, and Tarshish was Javan's son, so that all fits together. Britain has this commonwealth of nations, independent of Britain, and yet prepared to work with Britain when the need arises. And she is a trading naval power like Tarshish. And here we have it. Uh, the ancient source of silver, iron, tin and lead, which came to Tyre from Tarshish, we're told in Ezekiel chapter 27. And yes, you've seen the slide already, but never mind. It is truly remarkable, isn't it, that the, the ingots of tin that they found in Israel and Cyprus and in the Middle East, when they analysed it with the ingots which have been in shipwrecks off the coast of Cornwall, that uh, the, the signature, as it were, chemical signature matches. Like they, they can trace tin to a particular mine in Cornwall. And so, you know, 2,300 years ago, that will take us back to the time of the judges. Uh, they're probably a bit wrong with their timing, but 2000 uh, BC, um, oh, sorry, 1,300 BC takes us back to the time of the judges. Uh, if it was just 1,000 BC, that would be the time of David. Already trade was being done between Britain and Israel. Truly remarkable. And Britain is one of the most important maritime centres of the world. Uh, just in September, they had the International Shipping Week when 200 events were organised, 20,000 individuals attended, huge banquets put on by the British government to the leading uh, ship people because Britain realises the significance of having a good merchant navy and uh, a royal navy to defend the shipping. If Britain's going to be a Tarshish power, which is what they want and what scripture says, then you've got to have the means of transportation and defence of it. And it's a very important economic sector. £40 billion pounds worth is the maritime um, sector's worth to the economy. Across the world, the UK is regarded as one of the world's leading maritime centres, with particular preeminence in professional maritime services covering law, insurance, finance and shipbreaking. So, in London, all around the world... Trade is being done, never sees London, but the arrangement for the shipping, the arrangement for the banking and for the insurance is all done in London. Uh, ships go from A to B and C to D, but it's all centred on Britain and Britain's skills as a maritime centre, a unique centre. And what is, again, truly remarkable, and again, thunderstorm a little bit, um, Boris Johnson has... Those excellent links with the Israel, there's Jewish blood on her mother's side, and uh, as uh, I think Brother Peyton has said, uh, he regards himself as an ardent Zionist. But the government that he has put together, as this uh, headline in this Jewish paper said, the most pro-Israel cabinet ever. It, it is truly remarkable. These are the top five people in the government. You've got the Prime Minister... Uh, then you've got the Chancellor of the Exchequer. Now he's a Muslim. But he takes his family on holiday to Israel because he admires the Israelis. He thinks that great uh, and wants to uh, model uh, as Chancellor of the Exchequer on some of the things that Israelis do. And below him is the first Secretary of State, Raab. Now his grandfather was Jewish. He's worked on kibbutzes in Israel and studied in Israel, a great friend of Israel. 
And below that, there's the Secretary of State for the Home Office, Bridget Patel. We know that, was it two years ago, three years ago, um, when she was on her own paid holiday to Israel, she went and consulted with the Israeli leaders, and Mrs May sacked her for that. Well, her time has now come. She's back in office, a great friend of Israel. And uh, especially with the anti-Semitism that is uh, growing in this country, she's determined to stamp on that. And then next down on the list is the Chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, that's the Michael Gove, who looks after the Brexit arrangements, is a long-standing friend of Israel and an outspoken Zionist. He's one that wants the UK embassy to be moved to Jerusalem, like the American one. So... It's truly amazing that just at this time, which makes me think that surely it must be under the Conservatives that Britain leaves, because here we have an assembly of people who want to deal with Israel, and Israel is looking forward to being able to deal with them once the bonds with the EU have been broken. Now, back, it's now seven years. This book was written, Britannia Unchained, by a group of MPs who were desperate to change the attitude of the British people from thinking, no, we've got to be in the EU, there's no hope out there, to saying, no, there is a world, we can stand on our feet. And they wrote this book, Britannia Unchained, Unshackled from the EU. Now, the five authors there, the last four are in the Boris's cabinet, and the first one, uh, I won't try and pronounce his name, but uh, he attends the cabinet meeting because he is the Ministry, Minister of State for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy. So, again, Harry Markle, group of people who can see that Britain has a future and wants that future to come. They're in the government, in the driving seat. And when the book was published, uh, they said, we are convinced that Britain's best days are not behind us, we cannot afford to listen to the siren voice of the statists who are happy for Britain to become a second-rate power in Europe and a third-rate power in the world. Decline is not inevitable. So, fascinating. And also it's interesting that uh, two of the think tanks, uh, BICOM, um, Britain-Israel Communications Research Centre, and the Royal United Services Institute put their heads together and had a conference back in July uh, to look at UK strategy post-Brexit uh, and where do they see Britain's future lying? Well, it was in the Middle East. I don't think Turkey will enter into it, but never mind. But uh, certainly in Egypt and the southern nations there, they could see and speaker after speaker was saying that's where Britain's got to concentrate her efforts. This is where the markets are. This is where the money is. Here are people who want to trade with us. Here are people who admire us having a monarchy. Fascinating. And Britain already is working with Israel in a much more open way. This is back in August. Until a few years ago, conducting, this is uh, when Britain and Israel had joint naval exercises, as the headline says. Until a few years ago, conducting these exercises out in the open would have been unthinkable. However, the growing um, 
under the radar relationship between Israel and the Arab Gulf states, which has been traditionally close to Britain, has removed much of the sensitivity regarding Israel and Britain's military ties. Things have moved on. The Arabs aren't upset by Israel and Britain doing things together. Next month, and this has already taken place, Israelis fighter jets, they came in September, had exercises here, and next year the RAF is due to go to Israel to join in with the blue flag exercise um, in the Negev desert. So Britain is now much more bold in openly having a strong relationship with Israel. And just from a link that uh, I had last night, uh, this is from Bank Limai, which is an Israeli bank. They've got a UK branch. They've just published this, uh, the UK-Israel trade corridor, how the UK and Israel could benefit from a closer trading relations. And, you know, it was saying, on so many levels, Israel's got stuff that Britain wants and Britain's got stuff that Israel wants. Um, trade between the two countries hitting a record, breaking £8 billion in 2018, with growth likely to accelerate in the coming years. As I say, the Israelis can't wait. They've got so much to offer Britain. And it's interesting how Britain is cooperating with the United States. Uh, a third of the world's liquefied gas comes through uh, the Gulf and through that very narrow bit with Iran just above it. It's a choke point. 25% of the world's gas, uh, sorry, 25% of the world's oil goes through that pinch point. And so Britain has been cooperating with America to patrol um, and look after the British and American ships that uh, go through there, the tankers. Uh, and Australia is going to join in. So a lot of the young lions cooperating together in the Middle East. We see how world events are drawing them in. They don't realise why they're being drawn in. They don't understand God's purpose, but they're being drawn in to the Middle East. Um, and so we have, uh, again, uh, a Sheba, because the uh, Arab states, the United Arab Emirates and uh, Bahrain, they too supply uh, defensive ships to protect the tankers. So we have Sheba, Didan, the merchants of Tarshish and the young lions all working in this region here. So, Israel. Now, very interesting situation. They had elections back in April time, couldn't form a government, so they had second elections in September. They still can't get a government together. Uh, and Netanyahu had until uh, October the 24th to form a government, but uh, he gave up on the 21st, uh, and now the uh, leader of the Blue and White Party, which actually has one more seat than the Likud Party, which is Netanyahu, has been given a fortnight in which to try to put a government together in Israel. It doesn't seem likely that that will happen, so the prospect is there'll be a third election. So, again, just at a time when you think, well, Israel's got to be strong, all the enemies, what Iran is doing, creeping closer and closer to Israel. We need a strong Israel. But, you know, in the purpose of God, hindsight will tell us why these things are happening just at this time. But 
we've seen the Jews go back to their land. There's 1948 in increasing quantities. So over 9 million Israelis, of which uh, 6.7 million are Jews. So we've got 46% of the Jews' population of the world in Israel. Truly remarkable sign. Uh, I'm sure none of us ever thought that that quantity, almost half the Jews in the world, would be living back in Israel before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Israel is a very special nation. God said, my people are special, and they are special. Uh, and they're doing very well. Foreign investments up 17% compared with the year before. Exports topping $110 billion in 2018. Uh, Alia, Jews coming back from different countries up 28% in the first half of this year compared with last year. Tourism up by 10% in the first half of the year compared with the previous year. In the happiness index, Israel surrounded by enemies seeking to wipe out and yet they're number 13, way above Britain and way above America for, in the happiness index. They're ranked as the eighth most powerful country in the world. Little tiny Israel. No bigger than the country of Wales. Little tiny population, nine million. Ranked number eight. And in the Bloomberg Index of Most Innovative Countries, she was ranked as fifth in the world. And in the uh, World Economic Forums, they have a survey, and in the categories of entrepreneurship and uh, macroeconomic stability, top spot, little tiny Israel. Now, if the area of the flag, which is partially uh, hidden by the uh, uh, text over it, but if you think of that area being representing the population of the world, then the population of Israel is that little tiny bit in the middle there. In other words, the world population is 910 times bigger, and yet they are unique. No other country ranks like little tiny Israel does. And they have been blessed in these latter days with abundance of energy. They never thought they were going to have energy. All belonged to their neighbours and used against them. But now in these last days, God has seen to it that with the advanced exploration techniques that Israel has discovered gas in abundance, uh, so she has Tamar and Dalit and Noah and Maribi uh, supply gas to Israel. And the Leviathan one there that I've ringed is the latest one. It's uh, busily being built. Earlier in the year, the uh, working platform, which will be uh, anchored about uh, nine kilometres off the coast of Israel and then connected by 72 kilometre pipes back to the oil field, so this is the production platform where the gas is cleaned and uh, all things done so it can then be used. Uh, that was built in Texas, uh, came across on barges. The underwater part was assembled during March and April. And then over the summertime, four great barges, and that's one of them, brought all the top structure. 
And the world's biggest floating crane, has, has, as we speak, is just finishing off the assembly of the top platform in the hope that by the end of the year, gas can start flowing into Israel. And that will be a great economic boost because there's enough gas in Levant in such a huge field, it would look after uh, Israel's needs for more than 40 years. And the Israeli government has agreed that up to 40% of that gas can be exported, which gives Israel a very powerful influence to her neighbours. And so um, she's signed contracts to supply Egypt and Jordan uh, and maybe Saudi Arabia with a new place there. But I'm just rushing through. I looked at my time. I see where we got to in that part of the end. But never mind. We've seen amazingly how she's able to uh, penetrate uh, into Syria, all parts of Syria, and with her amazing intelligence, have knocked out uh, many uh, of the enemy's installations. We mentioned, or John mentioned, about Russia and Putin. Well, this was his birthday <coughs> greetings, really buttering up um, how wonderful Netanyahu was and how they hoped, I highly value our constructive and business-like relations. I hope to be able to continue our substantive dialogue and fruitful joint efforts in the interests of his Russian and Israeli people. Now, there is a passage in scripture that tells us about that. So just turn very quickly and so we'll see if we can skip to the end. Um, Isaiah chapter 10 indicates to us that there's going to come a time when Israel will no longer depend, the word that's used in the authorised version is stay, and that word means to lean, to support upon, will no longer stay upon him that smote him, but will stay upon Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. And that will be under the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's saying, before Israel turns to God, because they then recognise who their Messiah is, beforehand they'll be trusting in the one that slays them, smites them. We know from Ezekiel 38 who it is that smites them. So this is telling us that Israel will be trusting in their partnership, their friendship with Russia instead of trusting in God. And we saw how misplaced that was in the past in trusting upon the Assyrian and it's going to happen again. But truly remarkable, this friendship between Putin uh, and Russia. So the other thing, let's just very quickly skip along this, is that from Ezekiel 38, they're going to dwell safely without walls, having neither bars nor gates. Now, it is fascinating that Israel is forming these alliances with the countries around. The two longest go back to Egypt. Uh, the embassy got shut, shut, but it's now reopened. And she's about to supply gas to Egypt, which is quite remarkable. Uh, and today, this very day, is the 25th anniversary uh, of the Israeli-Jordan Peace Treaty. Again, it didn't give the dividends that Israel had hoped at the time, but I believe that shortly 
they'll see the dividends. And again, uh, gas pipelines are being built to take Israeli gas into Jordan. There's also considerable progress on the Red Sea, Dead Sea Canal scheme. So, um, back in February, there was a remarkable conference called by the Americans. Uh, it was held in Poland, um, and Israel and people from, I'm just going to quickly nip through these, uh, from these countries and more, there were 16 nations, but a lot of them, uh, 11 of them were Arab nations, they sat around the table uh, and shared meals and shared experiences and talks and it was said at the time that this is a regional realignment, this, this is something history, history, historic. History is changing course, that Jews and Arabs sitting together around the table, talking things together. And then, just uh, finally, last week, um, there was uh, the next meeting, was not in Poland, but was in uh, um, UAE. And uh, again, the Israelis sent their delegation and this, the Israeli Foreign Ministry official uh, on counter-terrorism, because that's what it was about. So it was a working group on maritime aviation and security. She sat down with 60 other nations, many of them Arabs, uh, and uh, had her say. So there was little tiny Israel taking her seat among the 60 nations. And the Arab nations are desperate for peace with Israel. Um, ben Salman told America, help us to take control of the Middle East so that we can normalise with Israel. Uh, coordination between Israel and Arab states, the United Nations on Iran, that the Arabs are working with Israel to try and change the UN's attitude, instead of always being against Israel, to make them see, well, Iran is the problem. Uh, and uh, this was a fascinating one, that the Israeli foreign minister... Uh, is wanting to have uh, signed non-aggressive agreements with the Arab Gulf states. It's a historic move that will end the conflict, enable civilian cooperation until the signing of peace agreements with them. So there's active steps for to normalise relationships between Israel and the Arab states. So I'll skip that one. Uh, just very, very, very briefly... Um, I believe that there's going to be about a 10-year period before the, between the return of Christ and Armageddon. In other words, don't be dismayed to see, well, yes, we've got to see a little bit more development there, a little bit more development, a little bit more development there. Christ will be back in the earth. There's plenty of time between the return and Armageddon, uh, and some time before that, we don't know how long before, will be the Gogan invasion. And they will appear to be triumphant, and Israel will be broken and Christ and the saints uh, destroy the Gogan Confederacy on the mountains of Israel. So I believe there's a ten-year period there, and that will be followed by 40 years of then establishing the kingdom uh, worldwide. This is the time when Europe is a lake of fire. This is when Revelation 17 comes into being, when the nations are confederate together to resist the call of the king of Israel to accept him. Uh, and that will make a 50-year jubilee period. Now, all based upon those passages there, but we haven't uh, time to look at them. So I just put up my normal. There is so much happening, brothers and sisters. Every year I write the milestones. 
every quarter in the Bible magazine, I do updates. And then three or four times a week, I send out the snippets on the internet, entirely free, where I've culled together all the interesting things that have taken place in the past few days, all indexed, um, and that's the basis that I use when I'm writing these articles. So if you want to go on there, because a lot of these things you won't see, you won't hear them on the BBC or even in the Daily Telegraph, but uh, this is a wonderful source of information. So take heart, brothers and sisters. Young people, take note. The Bible is true. Christ is coming. You've got to make your decision now. Time is running out. The Lord is at hand. These are exciting times, brothers and sisters. So let's not be disheartened. It might be, yes, time going back and forward, but never mind. Step by step, it's getting higher and higher. High tide will come. It's just around the corner.